Welcome to the Drop Time Report. Turn up the volume and listen to amazing stories about big bucks and the hunters who harvested them. Here is your host, outdoor writer, Tracy Breen. Welcome to the Drop Time Report. I'm your host, outdoor writer Tracy Breen. On this week's episode, we're going to have the founder of Lucky Buck Mineral, Dave Wheeler. Uh, Dave has an extensive background in animal nutrition, uh, dairy science, those kind of things. So today we're going to discuss uh, antler growth, how hunters can help the deer in their area achieve maximum antler growth, uh, why protein's important, why minerals are important. Uh, but before we get Dave on the phone, I'd like to thank our sponsors, our title sponsor, Redneck Blinds, Fourth Arrow Camera Arms, Winscent, Morale Targets, uh, Bow Season's Coming. If you need a new archery target, check out the High Roller Target from Morale Targets. Of course, uh, I'd like to thank Lucky Buck Mineral, Grim Reaper Broadheads, Illinois Connection Outfitting, Schaefer Performance Archery, The Outdoorsman's, uh, wilderness athlete, if you're into nutrition or you're trying to drop a few pounds before deer season, uh, go to the Wilderness Athlete website, uh, enter the code DROPTINE at checkout and save 10% off your order. And last but not least, Huntworth Clothing. Now let's go ahead and get Dave Wheeler on the phone. Welcome to the show, Dave. How are you today? I'm good. Good. Things busy at Lucky Buck this time of year? Very busy. It's really been moving. Last two weeks have really started stepping up again. Now this time of year, uh, people are obviously they have deer season on the mind. Uh, is Lucky Buck a fairly popular product to put out in front of cameras? Is that a big reason why it really starts to pick up? Absolutely. A lot of people aren't, aren't realizing the benefit early in the spring yet. And so, even though that's a significant time for uh, a significantly busy for us, our, our ultimate busy time is starting now in July and August when the antlers are pretty well done grown and people are taking inventory on their trail cameras. Okay. Now, what I wanted to talk to you about today was uh, antler growth. Um, the best time to have deer mineral on the ground and those kind of things. And, and we've talked about it a lot in the past. When is the ideal time to start putting out deer mineral and when do antlers really start growing? So the, those are really two different, slightly different questions. And the, my general recommendation is to feed Lucky Buck in particular, all year long as much as they want. And to describe their intake and when they consume the most of it uh, sheds the most light on, on how it works. We use salt as a control mechanism not only to get the deer to eat the mineral, but also to keep them from consuming too much. And so by free choicing it, they won't overeat it. They won't eat it when they don't need it. And it has a pretty substantial seasonal variance, uh, which actually benefits us in the fact that it almost mirrors the antler growth on the deer. So the program I'd like you to follow is uh, start out in late winter when you're out shed hunting or out in the woods. And it doesn't matter if it snows on it or not, but 
put a third of a bucket out on each site just to freshen up an existing site or to establish a new site. And don't expect a lot of activity. They're not going to be consuming a lot of volume at that point because their diet is dry browse and dead grass, and and they really don't need much salt. To They're not craving the salt like they will later. So then the key bucket to the entire program is at green up in the spring. When that grass starts growing and you get ready to mow your lawn for the first time, those deer are eating nothing but that new grass after eating dry browse and dead grass all year, all, all winter long. And so once they start on that new grass, the new grass, if you analyze it, would be almost 90% water. And that's their entire diet. So it essentially flushes the electrolytes out of their system. So they crave the sodium from the lucky buck. And then by accident, they get the extra selenium and nutrients right when they really need it. So the antlers have already started growing at that point. They're drawing, bone, they're drawing calcium from their bone if they don't quite have enough dietary calcium. But they need the selenium and stuff that they can't get. They can't have stored in their body like they do the calcium. And ideally, I would get it into them just a little earlier than green up in most parts of the country. But from a free choice uh, wild deer application, this is about as good as you can do as far as uh, just getting it in the, at the green up. And I expect about a six-fold increase in intake from two weeks before green up till two weeks after green up. And that's wow. just strictly because of the moisture of their diet. Okay. Now, when are the key months? I mean, how much does a buck's antlers grow from March to April, April to May, May to June? I mean, when when are the months where he's really taken off? So whenever, whatever part of the country you're in, whenever your grass starts growing, which that's why I hesitate to put a month on it or a calendar date on it because year to year with the, with the weather variations and with north to south variations, whether you live in Georgia or Alabama or you live in the UP, there can be a month's difference on when you mow your lawn and when, sure. that, when that diet changes for that year. So yep. whenever that grass starts growing, I figure you've got about a four-month window generally that you really want to keep, that, that they're going to be eating a higher level of mineral and then i figure at least here in michigan it ends up about right now about the end of july uh about the time you get a little bit of a drought you don't have to mow your lawn quite as frequently it turns brown <clears throat> their diet's also turning drier they're in uh, soybean fields that have started that don't have the lush new growth that they did have they're starting to get uh more more dry matter to them and and so they're going to back off on their own right about now and the antlers are pretty well done growing now they you know they may finish up a little more but they're pretty well done as far as their substantial growth okay now a lot of people put deer mineral out in the fall and you'll hear people complain hey you know all of a sudden they're they're not eating my lucky buck and that's basically because they don't need it then correct 
right. So the program I'd like to follow is that third of a bucket early, then a full bucket right at green up on each site. And based on about 25 deer hitting that site, I figure it's going to take just about a bucket a month for about the next four months, so about 20 pounds a month. And then maybe a third of a bucket every other month after that for the rest of the year, maybe put it in front of your trail camera or in your hunting area to keep them coming into it, just so they don't get deficient and so you keep the trend of them coming back to it. But don't expect anywhere near the volume to go through as it does early in the spring. Okay. Okay. Besides the mineral, you know, there's always a lot of debate uh, among hunters, you know, what what affects antlers? Is it genetics? Is it age? What's, what's the most important factor? And you have a, you know, a nutritional background. Uh, give us your two cents on that. What is uh, the most important factor? Genetics is probably the least most important factor when you're talking about wild deer. My idea on that is that those genetics have spread you know, over the years, over the decades, that those genetics don't stay in one spot. And there may be, there's variations, obviously, and there's a lot of difference between, you know, maybe an area has more non-typicals and you can get higher scoring deer. But I'm confident that, you know, you can get an eight point that's worth hanging on the wall any place in the country. You may not have the genetics for a 21 point or a 36 point or a massive drop kinds, but you've got genetics to produce good eight points no matter where you are, even if you're in Michigan or even if you're in Pennsylvania or any place that you pick where they're known for poor quality um, antler size, there's always another reason other than genetics. And I think genetics are way overrated. So I would put that third. I would put age number one. If you have a young deer, it will get bigger the next year, and you just got to wait for it. And the areas that are shooting big deer year after year after year, the famous counties in Illinois and Wisconsin, a lot of that is because they already have big deer and they can afford to wait for it so not as many young ones get killed. There's also natural advantages in fertility in the soil and in natural minerals in the soil. Excuse me. For example, uh, there's a few counties in Kansas and most of Texas and the Dakotas have naturally occurring selenium. The rest of the country does not. And that, if you look at the size of the antlers they're producing, especially relative to the body size on those Texas deer or the the quality of forages that a lot of those deer have access to. Up in the Midwest, in, in Michigan, Illinois, Iowa, um, there's a huge advantage in soybean plants and alfalfa that we grow that has really good natural protein for them uh, as opposed to what Texas is producing. So there's there's a lot of reasons why um, those antler sizes are different in different hot spots around the country, but most of it, in my opinion, is not genetics. So the age is difficult to control. You know, in Michigan, 
your neighbor's going to shoot it anyway is the most common thing I, I hear. And so it's, and it's true. There's a lot of small parcels and there's a lot of people shooting young deer, but it's worth the effort to, to try anyway. But the, the one that you can control the most is nutrition as far as the mineral side of it. But I break down the nutrition side into two parts. There's the, the protein and energy component, and then there's the mineral component. And so I can talk to you about the, the energy and protein side a little bit, even though I don't supply anything you know, that directly goes into that. Uh, from, a, from a livestock nutrition background, you look at uh, things a lot differently than if you don't realize what the protein levels of different forages are and what what affects those okay so so the the biggest variable on protein is the stage of maturity on your forages in the early spring like i was talking about before when that new grass is so full of water that new grass is also full of protein it on a dry matter basis can exceed 30 percent protein and as soon as some of those grasses go into maturity, start heading out, which can be fairly early in the spring, orchard grass and timothy, when you see heads on the top of those, that crude protein level has dropped from upper 20s or 30s down into the single digits. It's really wow. poor in protein as wow. soon as it gets fully mature. Okay. But, uh, the fortunate thing for most of us is uh, we have soybean fields that kick in just about the time that grass is heading out. You'll see those deer heading to those soybean fields just as soon as those those plants are big enough to start munching. And so the, the forage part of a soybean plant is roughly 18% crude protein. There again, on a dry matter basis, that's just about perfect for that deer. And that usually runs us in, in, in farming areas where you're, where you're raising soybeans, that just about runs through uh, the end of antler growth when those soybeans are really growing nicely and the deer really like them. Now, later in the year, the deer will eat some of the actual beans, which are about 35 to 38% protein and also really high in fat. But they, they're a little bitter tasting, and the deer don't necessarily... Uh, and the raw form don't necessarily really crave them. But the vegetative part of that plant at 18% really carries the load on through the antler growth season, as well as uh, intensively cut hay like alfalfa. If it's cut two or three times or four times, um, well, not so much two times, but three or four times, like at 28-day intervals, that hay is going to have excellent protein quality all the way through, as opposed to one or two cuttings a year. You let that get mature, and you're going to be down into the lower teens, even for alfalfa, once it's fully blossomed out. So okay. the, the stage of maturity is, is absolutely key. Even with weeds or, or other plants, once they mature, generally drop drastically in the protein like a really young growing weed can have really good nutrients and be pretty palatable for the deer but uh, once it gets once it gets later on in maturity then then you lose that okay 
So, so obviously protein and having, uh, minerals out, it's kind of a twofold thing. You can't, a buck can't reach his best without both, basically. Right. Right. There's always going to be a weak link to the chain or, you know, something that's going to stop that growth. The antler is just an amazing thing. It's what, it's a, uh, what I call an optional accessory. That deer doesn't need that mineral to survive or that antler to survive. And so if it runs out of something, if it doesn't have enough protein, that goes to the muscle. If it doesn't have enough minerals, that goes to the bone or to, to the, to the structural or vital organs. And the antler just quits growing. And that's what happens a lot of the time. And you just need to figure out what your weakest link is and fix that first because you can put all of the mineral out you want and if you're completely devoid of protein it's not gonna make near as much difference and on the same token you can have all the protein in the world and if you don't have the selenium and the trace minerals and the calcium you're going to limit that antler growth as well Okay. I wanted to focus on one buck for a minute, or we could talk about several bucks, but one that always sticks out in my mind uh, is the eight point killed on your property. And, and it's important to note that Lucky Buck is uh, here in Michigan where, you know, we're not known for monster booners um, by any stretch of the imagination. And a world record eight point uh, was killed on your property. Uh, why don't you tell that story a little bit and how it kind of impacted Lucky Buck as a whole and, and how you believe the mineral, you know, played a significant role in that buck's development. If it wasn't for that eight point Lucky Buck would, nobody would know about it because that was what really gave us the break. And the, my neighbors had been feeding Lucky Buck after they heard about another guy feeding a friend of theirs. They came over and they wanted it, so I was supplying them on three properties bordering my property and starting in the spring of 99. And that fall or winter, uh, the guy feeding the mineral uh, found one side of the shed of a really nice, heavy eight point. And uh, I didn't, he brought it over and showed me, and it was pretty impressive, but I didn't get too excited until the next winter early spring he bought both sides of what looked like probably the same deer and it was amazing he was uh well, he ended up scoring that year as a three-year-old 168 inches as a clean eight point and wow. after after we put the whole story together we that was at three years old so the first side he was only a two-year-old and that's why i wasn't quite so impressed i guess and the other side ends up being found by another farmer about a half mile down the road. And together that scored 148 inches as a two-year-old. So that would have been his first year on Lucky Buck starting that spring. Okay. And then the, the following year, he ended up getting harvested on my property, and he was 185 inches with the longest beams in Boone and Crockett history. He has 32-and-a-half-inch main beams on both sides. He's now second to the Stevens buck out of Ohio, which had 35-inch beams. But at the rate this buck was going, he would have had that the next year because 
he was only four years old when he was killed. So this this rack rack and skull plate weighed over thirteen pounds to give you a little idea of the mass. The and that's the heaviest weight wild white tail that I've ever heard of as far as antler weight. Wow. You had told me before, uh, and it kind of stuck with me that, you know, the average buck uh, in eight point is often as big as he gets. That's just their ideal rack. Um, and, and when a buck is a lot bigger than that, he's kind of a freak of nature. Obviously, this deer, you know, he's stuck with being an eight, and a lot of deer do, correct? I think it's around 70% of all whitetails, once they get past the first couple of years, I mean, there's a lot of them that die as a six-point or a spike corn. But if, if they're given a couple of more years to grow, I think it's around 70% will top out at an eight-point. And to have the biggest eight-point of all time, in Boone and Crockett, recorded in Boone and Crockett. There's some others that people have brought to my attention that uh, have been, uh, they claim are bigger, but they're not officially, uh, they haven't gone through the scrutiny and been officially entered in the book. So that's what I'm judging that by. There was one that was still that was considerably bigger that I've actually seen the rack on, but it was actually killed illegal in uh, Cannon Falls, Minnesota area. That buck was in the mid, low to mid 190s, also had 32-inch beams, but it was eight years old, and it had been on Lucky Buck for four years out there. My customer had been buying it by the pallet specifically because of that deer. So actually, the two biggest clean eight points of all time we're both on lucky buck the one for three years and the other one for four years huh it's interesting talk a little bit about your personal background uh it's safe to say you're not a hardcore you know big buck hunter um lucky buck came about because friends of yours said hey you know about animal nutrition could you mix this up a a mineral that would help deer correct right and I, I grew up on a farm that my parents never hunted, and so it just wasn't something that we did. And we were always busy, always working on the farm, and I just didn't take the time or have the time to hunt. And when I went and I was in the dairy nutrition business, we were making dairy minerals, and I wanted to diversify. And at the time, deer cocaine was really popular, and especially in Michigan in the mid 90s. And I at that time, it was a pretty simple uh, sodium bicarb-type mix, and they've made some other variations and some improvements on it, but essentially I thought I could do better than that. And so that's why I put Lucky Buck together, and I based it on what I knew uh, the cattle needed, and probably the most important component of it is, from a nutritionist standpoint, you got to control intake. You have to know how much the deer are going to eat. And you can't formulate an aggressive diet for any species unless you know how much they're going to eat. And the only way that I know and still know uh, how to control intake on a free-ranging animal is to control the salt portion of their diet. So I went ahead and put two-thirds salt in it. Unbeknownst to me at the time, if I would have been an avid outdoorsman and deer hunter, I would have 
realize that Dr. Kroll and Dr. Woods and, and all of the leading biologists were writing and speaking about using low-salt minerals. This would have been essentially marketing suicide to just come up with one that was two-thirds salt. And the other important component is that everybody recommends a two-to-one calcium phosphorus ratio, which I don't even have any phosphorus in Lucky Buck. So it was really, I would have done, if I would have done my research and if I would have done it according to from a hunter standpoint or from a deer biologist standpoint, I would have done it the same way the rest of the companies have been doing it and have still been doing it for the last 25 or 30 years. And that's with a low salt level and a two to one calcium phosphorus ratio. Well, phosphorus is very bitter taste and difficult to get the deer to eat. And in my opinion, it's not nearly as necessary as most people think. Even if the deer need a two to one calcium phosphorus uh, ratio in their diet, <clears throat> they're getting a substantial amount of that phosphorus from their natural forages. And so I don't need to put that in my bag or bucket. All I got to do is just make up the difference between what he needs and what he's getting in his natural diet. So hmm. the salt, the salt is what is the key is that that keeps them from eating too much. And if you, if you know how much they're going to eat, then you can put a really aggressive level of the key trace minerals like selenium in. I have probably eight to ten times the level of selenium most of my competitors have, just for one example. And it would be toxic if those deer could eat three or four or five ounces a day like they can in some of these other minerals. But it's physically impossible. And to, to, to kind of show that, to demonstrate that, I would challenge you to fill your coffee mug full of straight salt and eat the whole thing like right now. That's why that deer can't come in and overeat. And that's, that's what my control mechanism, and that's what differentiates us from most of the rest of the legitimate minerals on the market. They have a less than 20% salt and an over and a, and a two to one calcium phosphorus rate. Okay. Why don't you tell us, uh, you know, one more big buck story, one of your favorites, maybe. There's been a lot of them over the years, and I know from uh, dealing with you for over a decade, uh, along the way, there's been times that you wanted to pull the plug on Lucky Buck, and just about every time uh, you were going to do that, along would come another story from a happy hunter who said, man, there's there's no question uh, this big buck that I killed uh, was growing up on Lucky Buck. I've never killed anything like it in my life. And look at this buck. Uh, tell us, you know, maybe one more story like that. What's another buck that sticks out in your mind? There's a couple of them, and both of these happen to be Ohio bucks. And Ohio's a real hotbed for big bucks anyway, so I can't claim all of the... Of course, I never can claim all of the uh, responsibility for making that deer that much bigger but in ohio especially they've got a lot of things going with age and with the passing up those young bucks and and good natural forages and everything but uh, the amish lucky buck john schmucker uh harvested it in uh, adams county ohio and it scored 305 inches and at the time it was the fifth biggest white tail in boone and crockett 
and that's just a tremendous story. He, uh, he they were actually feeding the lucky buck only one year. This deer put on 60 inches. Two other guys had found the sheds. Went from about a, a 240 to a 305. But that deer is so exceptional because of its mainframe. It's got a real true mainframe. In fact, viewing it from behind, you can see the G1s through the G5s on both sides lined up like a picket fence. And it, it actually beats Hanson's buck as a typical if you sawed off 85 inches of non-typical points. So it nets over 220 typical as well. And I don't think there's ever been uh, a whitetail that, a 300-inch whitetail that has a as clean a, and, and nice a mainframe as he does. So that, that's one of them. And he was killed right on the southern edge of Ohio. But uh, a few years ago in the northeastern uh, part of Ohio, um, Dave Cop killed a buck that scored 267, and the year before he was a 171. They ha- they have his shed, and so he put on 96 inches in one year. That's crazy. From a four from a four year old to a five year old. So that one, I actually have replicas made of the the buck that he killed and the sheds and when you put them together there's it just blows you away how big he got and it's obvious it's the same it's got so many similarities it's got to be the same deer even though you it's just hard to believe that a wild white tail in ohio can put on 96 inches in one year yeah deer are amazing and nothing surprises me anymore with a deer antler it can they can do some really crazy things. In closing, one deer that uh, I love to talk about and, and convinces a lot of people is actually a high fence buck. Uh, I believe you called him Meathead or something like that. And and he <laughs> what he was kind of the redheaded stepchild. His brother was enormous, and everybody thought he was going to be enormous. And he never really turned out that way. But uh, there's kind of an amazing story uh, at the end of his life. Yes, Meathead was a half-brother to the famous Goliath buck. I believe he's the first buck to score 400 inches. And he, because of his brother, they kept him for nine years. By the time they realized he wasn't going to be any good, nobody even wanted to pay to shoot him. He just he had a really poor rack. And one of my customers uh, decided he wanted to experiment. He'd been feeding Lucky Buck to his herd and really liked it and really improved the health of his deer and and decided he wanted to buy this buck as an experiment. And the, the guy was more than happy to sell him because he was nine years old and still never had a good rack. The farmer brought him home on the same grain mix because he was buying the grain from the guy he bought the deer from. On the same grain mix, you would think, Moving him and going to 10 years old, he would even get worse. But he actually more than doubled in mass and had more pound of bone on his head as a 10-year-old than he ever had in his life, even in his prime. He ended up living to be 13 years old. And if he wouldn't have made a little bit of a tactical error and put him in with a bunch of 
does to breed. He, he died of probably a heart attack breeding these does. But if he hadn't done that, I think he was healthy as a horse as far as body condition and, and how he looked. I think he could have lived to be 15 or 16 years old. But he got bigger every year from his from 10 to 11 and from 11 to 12 and should have been going downhill. But this guy was actually force-feeding Lucky Buck. He was actually uh, cutting up apples and sprinkling it across the top of them, and he was actually getting more than he probably should have and more than you would get in the wild uh, just on a free-choice basis. But he saw tremendous results on meathead. Yeah, that's that's cool. And I guess, you know, one of the uh, nicest things about a deer mineral such as Lucky Buck is it's it's inexpensive and, and easy to put out. You know, you look at food plots, and we all have them, and they're great, uh, but they're time-consuming. Uh, they can be costly. Uh, they can die in the middle of summer, and you have to replant. I mean, it's it's farming, right? So there's a lot of variables. <laughs> uh, but but with something... Something like Lucky Bucket, it really is uh, pour it on the ground and walk away. Yep. For about $100, you can run a site for a year and almost no effort. And just carrying it out and make sure they don't run out is the entire extent of the effort. I was in a booth next to a food plot, a person put in food plots at one of the early shows that I did. And he had about a 40-foot trailer full of equipment. And that's when it really struck home to me how much simpler and easier it is to apply the mineral than it is to put in the food plot. That's not to say that food plots aren't important in in some areas and in certain situations they can be definitely beneficial too, but if it's one or the other, in my opinion, it's a pretty clear a pretty clear decision to the to the feeding the mineral first. Sure. Well, cool. I appreciate your time today and sharing your knowledge with the listeners and um, uh, have a great summer. And and I'm sure like everybody else, you're looking forward to fall. Yep. Thank you very much. (laughs) Yeah. Have a good day. You too. Bye-bye. It was great having Dave Wheeler on the show. I've known Dave for almost 20 years. He's definitely a guy who knows a lot about growing big deer. And hopefully all of you learned something this week about growing big deer as well. Uh, in the meantime, if you could go to Google Play or iTunes and su- subscribe to the Drop Time Report, I'd appreciate it. And on next week's show, we're going to have a guy who killed a giant buck in the area of the country that you would not suspect a giant buck to come out of. Uh, in the meantime, you can learn more about me at TracyBreen.com. Thanks for listening. <laughs>